0: You're listening to Meeting Pod, the podcast powered by Meeting Place, the premier magazine and news source for the meat and poultry processing industry, and Alt Meat Magazine, the only business information resource for the exploding alternative meat industry. Hi, I'm Lisa Keefe, editor in chief of Meeting Place and Alt Meat. Welcome to this month's episode dedicated to the meat alternatives market. Silva Sausage in Gilroy, California, has long been known for its premium versions of linguiça, chorizo, and andouille, along with bratwursts and other sausages. Our sister publication, Meeting Place, profiled Silva Sausage in 2019, but in October, Silva signed a first-of-its-kind agreement with Mission Barnes, a maker of cultivated meat fats, to use Mission Barnes' product in its sausages. Altmeat's managing editor, Brian Butzinski spoke with Silva Sausage's owner, Rick Martins, about the venture.
1: Silva was last profiled by Carnitec and Meeting Place Magazines in March 2019. Can you catch us up on how things have been going for you since then? We're, we're a, a traditional sausage maker, which, which you know
2: means that you know, we do batch-made processes, so we don't have an inline process. So not knocking that at all. It's just that's, you know, how we we grew up and my father started the business. So, and those are more suited towards traditional products like our Portuguese sausage, linguiça, or, you know, the Spanish chorizo or Italian sausage. So we've just been still doing that, trying to, to increase our distribution on those products. The coasts, both coasts know Portuguese sausage fairly well, but the interior of the U.S. is not as familiar. But as more people move from the coasts towards the interior, we're getting a lot more requests for those type of products, those cultural type products, Mexican treats, so as again the Portuguese linguine and Italian sausage. So, we've we've been concentrating on that, and yeah, I think that's that's about what we're, where we left it off with with Andre uh, last time we spoke.
1: While it's old hand in the meat industry, some of our listeners may not be familiar with the distinction between batch and inline processing. Could you break that down for me?
2: If you can imagine uh, a large production line where one or, or, you know, a machine dumps a vat of meat into a into a line, and from there it goes straight from grinding to mixing to forming, either stuffing right there or forming into, you know, patties or or skinless sausage links. It gets cooked in line, it gets cooled, and it goes straight to packaging. So very efficient. So th- that's kind of like an inline production model, and we're more where we have a guy kind of, you know, takes that 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 container of, of meat. and we, we deal with fresh meat, get fresh meat delivered three times a week and gets put into a grinder and you decide what grind size it's going to be for that type of product. And then it gets put in a couple rolling vats and then that gets wheeled over to a mixer where another employee takes that and puts it in the mixer and then mixes the spices on top of that and watches that get mixed properly. And from there, it gets put in another wheeled uh, container and gets moved over to the stuffer's and then we stuff it into the appropriate type casing, and then somebody hangs it. And then from there, it gets wheeled over to the smokehouse, and it gets cooked. And then from the smokehouse, it goes to cooling, and then from cooling, it goes to packaging. So kind of babied along the way.
1: How has the ongoing coronavirus pandemic affected your operations, and how have you been facing those challenges?
2: Like most businesses, we're scared and frightened at what might happen. Luckily, Silva has a good mix of Food service and retail business, and that's always kind of been our thing. It fluctuates from 60/40 to 50/50, sometimes goes 60/40 the other way. But it's we have a good mix of retail sales and institutional, and of course the institutional, you know, came to a standstill. So all our restaurants and hotels and food service distributors, their their business, you know, plummeted quickly. But retail, you know, jumped, and so that kind of for us, we were lucky that it it made up for that downfall in in the
1: food service side. How have the current supply chain issues been affecting you?
2: A little bit, mostly on the cardboard paper goods, some ingredients, some ingredients that, that are are sourced from, you know, the other side of the country, so trucking issues are impacting that and then sometimes on our finished product deliveries to some warehouses in different parts ports of the portions of the country are impacted by trucking issues. But in all our our raw material suppliers have been great, our raw meat suppliers have, have really done a great job of keeping the, the the protein
1: line going. Where do you primarily source your fresh meat geographically?
2: Mostly from the Midwest, Iowa, for the, the fresh pork. We are supplementing a lot of it now from maple leaf and out of Canada. A lot of their antibiotic-free pork, or our antibiotic-free pork comes from, from maple leaf also, and then locally sourcing through the ABF uh, producers here in California, Neiman Ranch being one of those. So, yeah, so it's so kind of varied in our geographic sourcing.
1: In our 2019 profile, you had mentioned that you are seeing distribution as far east as Colorado and Texas, but I'm wondering in the intervening time have you seen any further distribution? Are you having more eastward bound success?
2: Florida, I believe, and the Southeast have are have distribution now. Texas is 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 going well. So, yeah, we we actually have since that that time. And that's been going well.
1: You've recently partnered with Mission Barnes, which produces cultivated fat from animal cells to produce a new cultivated plant-based chorizo sausage. Could you kind of walk me through what that partnering process has been like?
2: Yeah. Mission Barnes reached out to us and asked if we were interested in in talking to them about producing some products. And they were local. and, And of course, we're local in the Bay Area. And we spoke with them, met with them, great team. And, you know, we talked about doing some test products. And from there, you know, it just kind of naturally went into to a direction that we were both happy with. And yeah, it was about as simple as that. They kind of just reached out to us. We met, met with them and, and, and kind of talked with them and, and, and found out what they're about and, and was really intrigued about that. And they, they seem very passionate about their, their purpose and cause and direction. So, you know, we definitely want to be aligned with, with people like that.
1: And did this just come about or had you had your eye open for a partnership with a company that produces cultivated meats?
2: I think it just, it came, we, you know, we read all the industry magazines and we're, we're abreast of what's going on. And for the last year, I've been reading about the cultivated uh, meats and, and fats and, and the companies that are, that are doing it. And it's really, you know, to me, fascinating. It's, it's, it's science fiction that's coming to reality. And just, you know, kept my eye on it. And then when they reached out, I, I was definitely interested.
1: So it's often said that production of conventional meat and plant-based meat is like apples and oranges in certain respects, but the same equipment is used to process both. Correct. So have, have there been any challenges to your production process with this new cultivated plant-based sausage? Did you have to make any special accommodations to its unique properties with regard to temperature or length of mixing, batching, and so forth?
2: Yes. Yeah. You have to, you have to make adjustments. For, for what we're doing, you know, they have a high speed bowl cutter and that heats up things pretty quickly. Of course, you can use ice and water. And when you use water, you got to learn how to bind that water to whatever functional ingredients and products, you know, they have in their product mix. Yeah, but all the same equipment's being used for the most part. You just got to make some adjustments.
1: Animal cell cultivation is a lengthy and at present pricey process. In terms of the expansion of cultivated meat offerings, is your partnership with Mission Barns the way forward? Alt-meat companies taking advantage of conventional meat companies processing production and distribution channels while allowing those conventional meat companies to grow their product portfolios in the alt space.
2: Uh, Definitely, definitely. I mean, it's advantageous, you know, for them because they don't need to and money designing a plant and acquiring all the machinery and getting the people that know how to to make product together. You know, they don't have to spend the resources on that and they can just reach out to companies that are already processing product especially if you're, again, using the same types of machines and processes. So that that's advantageous. And I do see, you know, it, it should be more common, I think, as more cultivated companies come to market, that they'll be reaching out with, you know, regional partners or even large multinationals that might be interested in getting in on, on this market segment. And eventually, I'm sure there'll be purpose-built factories for it. Yeah, I, I, I definitely think that it's, it's a good thing right now and, and we'll see how it pans out. I mean, we're in, we're in the very beginning stages of this. It's, it's just developing, so it'll be really interesting to see how things go in the future.
1: Ethnic foods, due to their singularity and unique flavor profiles, seem an excellent avenue for alternative meats to get to market. Are ethnic foods, in your mind, the best breakthrough for alternative meats? I mean, everyone's got a burger. Everyone is starting to have a chicken product, whether it's a tender or a patty or a nugget. But not everyone, as you know, has a chorizo, for example. So, is the ethnic food space the best breakthrough for alternative meats?
2: Oof, um, that's a that's a good marketing question. I would think that it's it's part of the way forward. You're right in that you know most vegetarian products have been targeted towards the, the burgers and maybe breakfast patties and links stuff that has been a part of the American diet forever. And now that the ethnic products are a little more widely available and, and, and people are incorporating those into the, their diets, like a chorizo, I mean, who doesn't want a, a delicious chorizo breakfast burrito? So, yeah, that could be part of the, the breaking into the market by using, you know, ethnic products.
1: The consensus at present seems to believe that alt meat won't replace conventional meat altogether, perhaps ever. And most companies in the space are, in fact, not really looking to try. So where do you think alternative meats place is in the marketplace now? And where can it go? If I'm not mistaken, your partner product with Mission Barnes is not quite yet to market, but you're close. Full disclosure, it's not yet
2: available in the market Mm -hmm. because you have to have regulatory approval and and USDA still and FDA are still working on that. On the alt meat you know, it was a, a huge wave coming out this, you know, most of the last year and a half to two years of just tons of companies coming to to market. Some are actual producers, some are just having their stuff co-packed and they're good at distributing. So that that space is, is developing. If you've seen the numbers for, you know, just recently, those numbers have backed down, right? So in terms of sales from, from the larger, you know, beyonds to the smaller players, a lot of those has backed down. I don't know if that's a, a, a result of the grocery slowdown that's going on right now in terms of just retail sales or just, you know, there were so many people jumping into the market, there's going to be a little bit of a, a filtering out of those companies. In terms of the cultivated meat, they're still yet to come to market, but I think there's a lot of buzz ar- around that. And to, to, the, to answer the question of are they who are they trying to service Again, the, the alt-meat were trying to service people that were vegetarians and wanted something that was, you know, a little tastier or meat-like or resembled things that they grew up with. And, you know, they were filling that well. The cultivated people, I think, are, are targeting vegetarians who, who didn't or, or are not eating meat for animal husbandry practices. practices. You know, they're they, they concerned about animal welfare and also concerned about the planet. And the alt meat seems to check all those boxes, and I think that's the the
1: people and the segment they're trying to target are cultivated or hybrid meat products simply the next step in evolving along with consumer demand, especially now that generation Z and the tail end of the millennial generation not only have a tremendous amount of social influence but they're starting to gain buying influence power as well.
2: yeah, I think you just nailed it right there that's who they're that's that's who they're targeting, you know. A group that is perceived to be more educated, more concerned about the the environment and the, the cultivated hybrid products can really check those boxes. Yeah, you know, if the flavor's there, the mouthfeel's there, it's better for the environment, it's less resource intensive, and it tastes
1: great, it, why not? There's a lot of data floating around out there about what the conventional meat market could look like in 2030 or 2050, but very little of it reconciles with any other form of data that's out there. And so I was wondering, what do you think the overall world of meat is going to look like 20 years from now, 30 years from now? Will conventional meat still own 99 plus percent of the entire market or will alternative forms of meat have been able to make more significant headway? Has the trend already begun?
2: I think I the think shift has begun. I don't think it's going to overtake conventional meat at all. I think Russell said that that's just not going to happen, but it will be a part of the future some people get really excited about new and novel things and they will scream out, This is the future. It'll be part of the future and I, I think processes and ingredients will only get better, just like with any technology, you know, it gets better and cheaper as we become more efficient. So a logical assumption would be, yeah, it's gonna be part of the future and it's gonna it's going to service a certain segment of our population. And that's, you know, my best, you know, crystal ball prediction is I think it will be part of the future. I don't know how much it will be part of the future.
0: Our thanks to Rick Martins for his insights. You can access this interview and all of our Meeting Pod Altmeet podcasts on our website at alt-meet.net. Thanks for spending time with Meeting Pod today. Remember to tune in on Mondays and get the inside track on the people and processes that power the protein supply. Be sure to subscribe to Meeting Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And follow Meeting Place and AltMate magazines on social media or visit our websites at meetingplace.com and alt-meet.net.